Hey there, it's me, Jesse Tyler Ferguson, that redheaded actor from Modern Family. I have a podcast. It's combining a couple of my favorite things, talking and food. Please join me as I dine with the biggest names in entertainment, people like Julie Bowen, Kristen Bell, Fred Armisen, and so many more. It's called Dinners on Me, and you're invited. Am I saying a chocolate souffle is going to get me to reveal all of my secrets? Yeah, I am. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts. President Biden is in Europe this week. He's making stops in Belgium and in Poland in hopes of keeping the Western alliance united and showcasing American leadership. But it won't be an easy task as Russia's invasion of Ukraine heads into its second month with no clear end in sight. It remains unclear just how far Biden and U.S. allies are prepared to go to punish Russia and to strengthen Ukraine's defenses. The West has already issued broad sanctions against Moscow and provided billions of dollars in military assistance to Kyiv. So how much further will the U.S. and NATO allies go in support of Ukraine? And will Biden's trip be mostly symbolic? Or will there be substantive next steps when he wraps up his time abroad? This is Can He Do That, a podcast that explores the powers and limitations of American government in a time of deep division. I'm Allison Michaels. I just checked into my hotel where some of the White House staff is staying here in Brussels, and it's buzzing with Secret Service agents, police. Tyler Pager is a White House reporter for The Washington Post who's traveling alongside Biden and administration officials in Europe this week. Being in Brussels is analogous in some ways to being in Washington. There's always a lot of diplomats and politicians around here. But I can tell you when I checked in, There was chatter about the U.S. president coming and where he was going to stay and what he was going to do. So I think there is a lot of buildup to this moment. Obviously, on the European continent, the war is raging and it's ongoing. And there's expectations that refugees will continue to flow into Western Europe and they will really see the impact in their day-to-day life of this war. I don't think we're there quite yet, at least in this part of Europe, but we're heading to Poland later this week and we will undoubtedly see the impact of, of this war up close. What is Biden hoping to achieve this week? So Biden's here in Europe with really two goals in mind. The broader goal here is to ensure that the West continues to stay extremely aligned in response to Russia's invasion of Ukraine. There's been almost an unprecedented amount of cooperation and collaboration among the U.S. and other Western allies in terms of punishing Russia. But as the war slogs on, Biden wants to make sure that that sort of cooperation continues. Secondly, he's going to Poland, and that is an important part of this trip because Poland has really been at the front lines of the humanitarian crisis emanating from Ukraine as millions of refugees spill over the border seeking safety. And Poland is also a potential next target should at any point Putin expand his ambitions outside uh, of Ukraine. And Poland, notably, is a member of NATO. Crucially, a member of NATO if at any point any NATO member were attacked by Russia, would invoke Article 5 of the NATO Charter, which means that the U.S. and other NATO countries would have to get involved to defend their peers. 
So as you mentioned, first he's going to Brussels. Are there substantive items that he wants to check off his list while he's there? We've talked a little bit about the symbolism of the trip, but are there substantive things that he really wants to make sure he gets done? Unquestionably. The way that administration officials have been telling us they are thinking about this trip is in multiple ways. One is they want to plot out the next sort of military assistance they might provide to the Ukrainians. The U.S. and NATO allies have been providing various forms of military assistance since even before Russia invaded. So that's one part of it. Another part of it relates to the sanctions front, so the punishment. The U.S. and and, and European allies have put together a really devastating package of economic sanctions on Russia. They want to figure out ways to ensure that Russia is not evading those sanctions, but then also think about other ways that they could continue to financially punish and economically isolate Russia from the rest. And then three is to really look for ways of cooperation and collaboration on the Russia front, but also more broadly in the foreign policy space. Today, we will discuss uh, allied support to Ukraine. We will also address NATO's efforts to strengthen our defenses uh, now and for the years to come. We are already doing more uh, on land, at sea, and in the air. This is necessary to respond to a new security reality in Europe. Biden, he's traveled abroad a couple of times, but largely he's had a lot of his international meetings sort of virtually. Why was this important for the White House for, for Biden to go abroad at this time? Yeah, it's a great question. This is only Biden's third trip abroad, largely due to the coronavirus But I think the fact that they pulled this trip together as quickly as they did shows the gravity of the moment and and that we are in an unprecedented time. This is the largest land war on the European continent since World War II. And I think it was really important to Biden and to U.S. officials that he stand shoulder to shoulder with other NATO allies and show the rest of the world that the Western alliance is strong, is unified, and continues to stand by Ukraine as Russia invades. And I think the physical act of being there, the symbolism of that, diplomats and analysts have told us, is really important. So one of the goals of Biden's that you mentioned earlier is to promote unity between the NATO member nations. How has the war in Ukraine exposed some of the divisions between the U.S. and other members of NATO? What we have seen is largely the result of successful negotiations on a range of sort of economic sanctions. We are united in condemning the Kremlin's unprovoked aggression and in our support for Ukraine's sovereignty and territorial integrity. We are determined to continue to impose costs on Russia to bring about the end of this brutal war. Of course, there's a lot of members of this alliance, and they don't all agree on everything. For example, one of the tension points has been over banning imports of of Russian oil and gas. The U.S. did a blanket ban on that. But countries like Germany are much more dependent on oil from Russia, and they were not able or did not want to go ahead with a full ban. So I think on the energy front, there's been some disagreements and some diverging decisions on that. But Poland in particular, that has been one source uh, of tension, particularly as it relates to military assistance. So the Poles put out kind of an unprecedented public statement saying that they were willing to offer certain fighter jets to Ukraine. And the U.S. was taken by surprise by that offer and essentially declined it because they worried that it could further inflame tensions with Russia, um, which has warned that any country that is assisting Ukraine in, in a military fashion could be dragged into the conflict. 
Poland is a place where Biden will have some work to do to reassure the Polish president and provide particularly humanitarian assistance as they are, are dealing with the influx of refugees. It's interesting thinking about Biden's sort of perception ab abroad. I read a Gallup poll this morning that said that his diplomacy in the first year in office has really produced big gains for him overseas in approval of U.S. leadership. U.S. ratings in many countries matched or surpassed levels during the Obama years. Is the Biden administration noticing that? Is that something that is helping the Biden administration in this moment of U.S. leadership? It's funny because I was talking with some officials who joke that Biden's popularity abroad is almost certainly higher than his popularity uh, in the U.S. Politically, that doesn't help him too much because only American citizens can vote for president. But I do think that it fulfills one of the core promises Biden made as a presidential candidate, which was that he was going to restore American credibility abroad, rebuild alliances that he said were broken under Donald Trump. And he portrayed himself as the experienced statesman that could appear on the world stage and work with our allies to get things done. And I think this experience, particularly as it contrasts with some other foreign policy struggles Biden had, this is a moment where he has been able to display and show the skills that he promised to the voters when he ran for president. Yeah, he's really offered a contrast to Trump in a lot of ways. In one of Biden's first speeches, he spoke directly to American allies saying, America is back. Have you been able to get a sense of whether allies feel that? I know we talked about sort of general sentiment abroad, but whether or not our allies who are in positions of power, do they feel that sense of comfort from Biden? Yes. I, I think there was a period in which that trust needed to be rebuilt. And I think there are some concerns that the American political system could in three years deliver a totally different president. Maybe it's Donald Trump again. Maybe it's someone closer to him that pursues a more American first and isolationist posture. But I think this crisis in particular has really crystallized Biden's reputation with European allies. My colleagues wrote a really smart story about how Biden has approached this crisis with really, in some ways, letting the Europeans lead in terms of announcing sanctions and taking steps as they are closer in proximity to the crisis. And I think that posture is in some ways un-American, right? There's usually this idea that the Americans are out there first leading the charge boastfully, and his aides have taken pains to ensure that everyone is on board and they're doing this in a unified way. And I think in speaking with diplomats and foreign officials, they have really emphasized that that has really improved Biden's reputation and America's standing with them um, in the bilateral relationships and in these multinational alliances as well. Hi, everyone. I'm investigative journalist Kylie Lowe, and I'm here to tell you about my weekly podcast, Dark Down East. Each episode, I take you to my home in New England, where we truly get to know the people at the center of the cases we dive into. Join me and dig into some cases you won't hear about anywhere else. Listen to new episodes of Dark Down East every Thursday, or check out the extensive catalog of existing episodes now, wherever you listen to podcasts.
given Biden's sort of assertion of U.S. leadership here, he's already sent more than $13 billion in aid to Ukraine. We've sent weapons. And Biden's ordered U.S. troops to Germany and Poland. But Ukrainian leaders and, and some allies say that the White House could do more. What do they want to see the U.S. do at this point? Ukrainian officials have pleaded for a whole range of sanctions. President Zelensky is going around virtually, that is, speaking with parliaments, Congress, and legislative bodies around the world, pleading with them to do more. What he really wants is a no-fly zone. That has been completely ruled off the table in the U.S. They see that as military action and directly engaging in the war and putting U.S. soldiers at risk. And so that is not happening. But the Ukrainian president has asked for a whole range of things, the no-fly zone being the most prominent one, but more military assistance, more sanctions, particularly as it relates to Europe. But I think it is quite remarkable the kind of direct pleas he's making to lawmakers in all these countries, whether that's Japan or the United Kingdom or the U.S. or in Israel, and really making these emotional appeals from inside bunkers, hiding from shelling from the Russians. You know, a few weeks ago, we had a conversation at the start of this invasion about the limits of U.S. intervention. And there were clear red lines. Some of those have upheld things like a no-fly zone and military intervention. Are there any ways that that is ebbing, that the White House is willing to do more than they sort of thought they might be willing to do a month ago as they've seen this thing progress? It seems extremely unlikely that the United States would move ahead with any sort of direct military involvement in Ukraine. They made it clear that if any NATO country is attacked, they will defend NATO territory. But I do think on some of the economic sanctions, that is where we've seen the U.S. move further and tougher than we might have expected. For example, one of the biggest headlines that have come out of, of the U.S. is this ban on Russian oil and gas imports. That was something that U.S. officials were wary of doing. Zelensky had been pleading for it. Members of Congress were really pushing for it. And they were taking steps to do it through congressional action and, and putting it, forcing the issue with the president. The president and his administration then moved to do it on their own. And I think it just shows the power of Zelensky's appeal and also how much energy there is in the U.S. to back and support the Ukrainian people. So if the White House could have their dream headline to come out of this foreign trip, what do you think that would be? What are they hoping for? I think it's really symbolic. They want to be able to show that the U.S. is leading the response, both in terms of punishing Russia and supporting Ukraine, and that the U.S. has reasserted itself as a global leader and solidified this Western alliance, particularly as it relates to some countries that in recent years have been drifting away from the West. On issues like rule of law, Poland has, has moved away from the West in ways that officials have been concerned about. And I think as Biden meets with these leaders, stands side by side with them, the G7, NATO, the European Council, and then going on to Poland, I think the White House really wants to be able to show that Biden has successfully re-established the U.S. on the global stage and repaired fully these alliances. Historically, often when presidents travel during war times abroad to exercise U.S. leadership, public opinion at home tends to go up. Have we seen that happening for Biden at this point? So what we have seen in terms of public opinion is that Biden's handling of the crisis has received high marks. 
But what we haven't seen is that translate to his overall approval rating. I think there's a lot going on in the world right now. There's some domestic fallout from the war, whether that's higher gas prices or rising inflation. And so I think it's too early to say how his handling of this is impacting his overall perception among Americans. But it's clear that the majority of Americans have a positive view of how Biden is dealing with this war. All right, Tyler, last question for you. As you continue your travels in Brussels and Poland, what will you be watching for? Where will you be paying the most attention? Poland, to me, is the most interesting part of this trip. Poland has taken on the humanitarian crisis, and they are on the front lines. In an interview with our colleague in Warsaw, the mayor said that they don't know that they have the capacity to deal with all of the refugees in terms of schooling and healthcare and just housing. And so I think when Biden goes to Poland, it will be noteworthy to see how he responds specifically to the refugee crisis. There's been a lot of conversation, a lot of action as it relates to helping Ukraine and punishing Russia, but the fallout of this war is much broader and much bigger than just Russia and Ukraine. It is impacting the entire European continent and the entire world. And this is the first time Biden is going to be face-to-face with that part of this conflict. And so I'm really watching for how he responds and what sort of action he takes to support Poland and to support the refugees that are fleeing from their home country. All right, Tyler, we will be watching your reporting closely. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. This has been another episode of Can He Do That? The Washington Post is covering all the pieces of Biden's trip abroad as they unfold. You can find all of that developing news at WashingtonPost.com. Can He Do That? is a team effort here at The Post. It's produced by Arjun Singh and Sharla Freeland, with logo art from Greg Manifold and theme music by Ted Muldoon. There's always more to the story. I'm Leanne Caldwell, anchor of Washington Post Live. Each week, we bring you inside conversations between the newsroom and the people we cover. From global leaders enacting change to cutting-edge artists redefining our culture. And we make you and your questions part of every conversation. Listen to Washington Post Live wherever you get your podcasts and watch on demand at WashingtonPostLive.com.